This podcast is intended solely for blind and visually impaired audiences and is brought to you by the Radio Talking Book Service in Omaha, Nebraska. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 50 years. It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. I had a six transistor when I was a kid. Under my pillow, I kept it hid. When the lights went out and no one could see, over the airwaves the world came to me. And I had a seat on the very front row, and I watched it all on my radio. I watched it all on my radio. Well, good afternoon. You are listening to Radio Talking Book Service, and I'm Cammie Carlisle, and I have switch seats today with Ryan O. He is going to handle today's community conversations. Ryan, happy Friday. And good afternoon, everybody. This is Ryan O. coming to you from Cammie's normal chair in Studio A of the Radio Talking Book Service. We are really excited. I am really excited today. As you folks know, if you've been listening for any length of time, this is our 50th year in broadcasting, and we are so excited to make it that far. And so some of the community conversations you're going to be uh, listening to this year are going to be our greatest hits. We have a gentleman with us that has been here before. That was a long time ago when Jane Nielsen was in charge. But I pulled uh, some executive privilege, and I decided I want to talk to this guy again. So we have Gary Saddlemeyer, who is currently with KFAB as the morning show host. Gary, welcome to the show. Ryan, thank you. It is a a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a joy to talk with you. I've been listening to you since uh, your days with the Huskers, which... We'll talk about, but yeah. first and foremost, give us your background, Gary. Tell us everything where, where you were born and raised and, and about your career. Before we get to that, uh, I'm reading up on the window here. Please do not cough, sneeze, belch, etc. into our listeners' ears. Uh, use the cough button provided. So I want to make sure. Is this? Is this that, uh, okay, you got it. I found it. Okay. You got it. All right. If you swear to just press the button, <laughs> if you're going to curse, you probably will by the time. No, we're I'm done. I'm accustomed to not doing that. Okay. I do three and a half hours live on KFAB every day, so no, none of that. There is no seven-second delay button here. So Right. Um, where was I born? Uh, Minnesota. I'm a Minnesota native, small town. Uh, grew up on a farm, actually. And um, loved that. It was a great way to grow up. Um, man, our small town, uh, back in the set was in the 60s, I uh, Grew up, graduated, uh, went through high school through the 60s. And back then, the small towns, uh, even the smallest ones, uh, were large enough that you could have the full gamut of extracurricular activities because every farm had a family, and every family had somewhere between 1 and 12 kids, literally. (laughs) And so the class sizes were, you know, I mean, I graduated with 33. Um, But... Every class had 30 or 40 kids, and so you could have all the sports and band and choir and all that. I loved it. Great way to grow up. Tell me about your folks. Uh, my dad was uh, in the trucking business, which, and our family still has it, um, although on a much smaller scale. And uh, he was uh, a child of the Depression. My parents both were. 
And uh, but he was smart. He was a good businessman, and he and he had his trucking business. And whenever he had a little time, he would he loved to farm. He was a farm kid at heart, and so that's how we grew up. And I grew up with the business and with the farm. Uh, my mother, as most moms were back then, was stay at home. And uh, man, those those moms they could cook. Holy cow! Yeah, they man, were jacks of oh, all Janes of all trade. It was uh, awesome. They yeah, were amazing. and um, you know, she was. <laughs> it was a, it was interesting looking back. Uh, Mom, gonna have a recipe for that. You know, when I grew up, could I get a, well, I didn't have a recipe. She just knew how to make it. Those farm wives were something. So that's how I grew up. A brother and a sister. I'm the youngest of three, and uh, just look back very fondly. That farm is still in our family. My brother and his wife live there now, so it's nice to go home. It's a century farm, central Minnesota, lakes country, and um, and it's great to go back and in the house where we all grew up. I'd say, I wouldn't know myself, but people say it's beautiful country up there with the, the lakes and the mm-hmm. forests and whatnot, Minnesota. Uh, weather is uh, a little on the chilly side, so it probably feels It's a little like... drafty. Well, here, I mean, it's not all that much different from Omaha, uh, except the winters will last longer, um, and the seas, the, sea, uh, the winters longer and, on average, colder. And more snow on average, but not dramatically. I mean, we had, look what we had here this year uh, in January, oh, the first yeah. half of January. I felt like I was back home, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, the climate is Midwest climate, but the thing is there are a lot more uh, lakes in the area up where I grew up and uh, great fishing and recreation in addition to farming. So tell us about your road to radio. Of course, we know we know your voice uh, because it's legendary here in Omaha, but, but how did you get to where you are now professionally? Okay. Uh, well, I went to uh, uh, college in Moorhead, Minnesota, Concordia College, and uh, uh, an academic and football adventure that lasted a couple of years. Uh, and I was impatient. I had uh, I was engaged, high school sweetheart. Uh, we wanted to get married. I wanted to get. I had three or four things in mind when I went to college. The first one, I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And uh, they told they told us the freshmen when we enrolled there won't be any teaching jobs available by the time you go. Well, great, that's great news. Now what? <laughs> yeah. The other things I wanted to do uh, was landscape architecture, and they didn't offer that, uh, and broadcasting, and they didn't offer that. So you know, sometimes when you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old, you're I was very immature, and I look back on it now, but it worked out well. Anyway, I said, okay, that's it. Uh, so I left and I re- enrolled in Brown Institute in Minneapolis uh, for radio because I didn't have any way to get into the business. Uh, I got married. Uh, we moved to a little tenement apartment in northeast Minneapolis, wow. and I went to radio school. Um, but basically a technical school, and the thing it offered was some training, but the big thing it offered was a placement service. And um, the first day they asked us, uh, is there any place uh, when you graduate – that you won't go. And a few guys, most of the guys at that time, raised their hand. Not me. I said, no, I don't care. If you get me a box of records and a microphone, I'm off to the races, you know. So that was like a 10-month course. Um, I was working part-time in an upholstery shop, and my wife worked full, almost full-time, and so we scraped by after a week or so after graduation, the placement director called me, and he said, boy, do I have a deal for you. Oh. Uh, he said, yeah. 
Well, you need to call Harry Kaplan in Grand Island, Nebraska, KRGI. There's a familiar name, right? Uh, not Harry Kaplan, but, but KRGI. KRGI. <laughs> I grew up in Kearney, so. Oh, you know. GI was just right down the road. Yeah. And uh, I had, I was not familiar, but he said it's, uh, he said he needs somebody right away. Give him a call. So I did. And he says, he says, what had happened was, you don't start in a town the size of Grand Island, okay? Back then you didn't, because every little bitty town had a radio station. Uh, but Harry didn't know anything about radio. He knew sales. And uh, the program director was on vacation. Harry got mad at an announcer and fired him. <laughs> and uh, and he, called, he called the placement director up at Brown and uh, said, I need somebody right away. So Hugh recommended me, Hugh Phillips. I called Harry, and Harry says, get down here. He said, town of 35,000 very friendly people. And I'm thinking, 35,000, you know, to start? I said, yes, sir. And a week later, away I put, put a little U-Haul trailer, and away I went. And, and all, I almost didn't make it, you can imagine. Um, because, let's put it this way, I learned more in two weeks there that I learned in nine or ten months in school. I'm sure. Because, I'm sure. because you had to actually do it. And I almost didn't make it, but I survived that. And was out there three and a half years. Uh, made a connection out there. A guy befriended me, um, who was like my, my dad's age, and he was a character. Huge big red fan and a speaker. and a, He'd made it in real estate and insurance. And he was a friend of Lyle Bremser, the longtime play-by-play voice at KFAB. And uh, after about three, three and a half years, I was kind of anxious to move to the next adventure, and I knew about KFAB, and I said, would you put a word in? And he did. Uh, and I called, and uh, the receptionist, Texas Mary, put me through to Lyle Bremser himself. And he said, well, I'll tell you. Uh, we don't have anything right now, but uh, call Ken Hedrick. Ken Hedrick is who I consider my radio dad. He was the station manager. Lyle was the VP. And uh, Ken said, well, send a tape and resume, which I did. That was standard. And didn't think that much more of it. And uh, that was in the summer of 76. And that November, I got a call from Ken. They had an opening, and he'd like me to come to Omaha and interview, which I did, and uh, met Walt Cavanaugh and got my eyes got very big. And, wow. And he offered me uh, the job right on the spot. And that was November of 76, and in December I started KFAB. So that's 47 years ago, if you're counting. <laughs> I, I, I'm incapable of doing math on that level, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. So you've been in KFAB for, as you said, 47 years? It was years. 47 years in December. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really. I mean, I think back, it, it, that seems like uh, a lot of years, but it doesn't uh, – it just, I guess it just flies by, you know. Well, Gary, we can't do this interview and just let you off easy with, <laughs> with softball questions all the way through. So no. I've written up a few tough ones. And speaking of KRGI, uh, you were there before I started listening. I, I started listening early 90s when mm-hmm. I got into the country boom. In your opinion, who is the best country music singer of all time? You know I'm a big country music fan. Yes, sir. I listen uh, to your show. Male or female? Male. Well, I've got a, I've got this internal debate. Uh, I've always maintained as Conway Twitty, uh, but I got to say George Strait. I mean, you know, uh, and I, and so I don't know. 
which side to come down on between those two. And Alan Jackson, I, I think, is tremendous. Yeah. George Strait's my number one guy. Yeah. Uh, I can't, and I'm not... I'm not exaggerating. I have had more breakups where he's been my buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he does a sad song like nobody else. But he's tremendous. The thing that Conway and George have in common is they're both gentlemen. Um, when you look at their lyrics, where women are concerned, mm. they're they're not angry. They're not hard right. drinking lyrics. They are they're gentlemen. Um, well, and, Conway um, knew how to how to how to. I don't know how many he wrote, but he knew how to deliver. Uh, yes. A very sexual song. He sure but it did. wasn't dirty I mean, by any means, but everybody knew. Oh, my gosh. It was a long way from I'm lying by here nature. with Linda on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tight-fitting jeans, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? So how about female? A slow hand. Yeah, huh? slow hand. How about and female? And everybody's... What? I'm sorry. Well, I was just, you, you mentioned male and female, so who's your favorite female? Uh, I think the most talented, probably uh, ever, was Patsy Cline. I think if Patsy Cline had not died... Tragically, at a young age in that plane crash, uh, she'd have reached a legendary status that, of a Frank Sinatra type. Um, of, the, of the longer lasting uh, females, I think Tammy Wynette was incredibly talented. In my era, would and be, it today, to, today, pardon me, right? Well, today it's Reba McIntyre. Yeah, you, yeah, you beat nice. me to the punch. I'd pick Reba, although I've yeah. got to say Dolly Parton has had an incredible. I, Legacy. Okay, we got a part company on that one. I, I think she's great. She's a wonderful personality and character. Not a great vocalist. Yeah, yeah. She knew how to pick material, a little bit like Loretta Lynn that way. Absolutely, yeah. So when you were at KFAB, um, how did you start out? Because, of course, now you're the morning host. Right. And, uh, but you probably weren't always the morning host. What did you do? What did I you started out like... Um, Almost, uh, we almost all do nights and weekends, and it was tough. I mean, uh, you know, we moved to Omaha, um, found out we were pregnant. Actually, it was my wife. I wasn't. But. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so you know, didn't know anybody. Lived in an apartment. Uh, I'm working seven. To, well, I actually went, went in at three in the afternoon, then had two hours off from five to seven, then played record seven to midnight. Um, had two weekdays off and then did and, and worked Saturday and Sunday every week. And it was tough for a while. Um, that's how I started out. And then something happened <laughs> in the uh, winter spring of 1978. Um, there were a few uh, uncontented employees. And uh, they decided we needed to maybe have a union. And... Uh, and so, you know, you go through these secret meetings and all of that, and I'm thinking, I don't know, what am I, you know, okay, i got to come to a meeting. Well, Lyle Bremser uh, was not going to have any part of, of unionized staff as long as he was the general manager, and he went on a real campaign to, uh, to, to lobby the, uh, all of us. I mean, the National Labor Relations Board have, have rules, you know. Uh, he, had, he had to allow the vote, but he was allowed to lobby us, which he did, uh, and when that vote was held, it was seven to four against. And so it seems like a few of those people were no, were no longer employed there after the, <laughs> after that vote. And um, and so there was some juggling of the staff, and that's when I went to afternoons. I went to afternoons in the spring of 1978, and um, did that for a long time. And then we we transitioned to talk. Uh, in late 89, early 90, 
and I did the first talk show there. It was a one-hour deal in the evening. We didn't know anything about how to do talk radio, you know. But uh, stumbled through that uh, awkwardly for a while, and then we transitioned to all talk uh, pretty quickly after that. And I stayed in afternoons for a while and then moved to the mornings. I should have kept the journal, Ryan, you know, because I don't remember exactly <laughs> Uh, but I guess early 90s, I transitioned to uh, mornings. You know, you're bringing up music, and I actually do remember vaguely, because we could, of course, hear you from Kearney, Nebraska, and yeah. I remember when KFAB played music. It's oh, yeah. strange to Everybody think about did. now uh, how music was a part of the AM spectrum back oh, in yeah. the 80s, 70s, we and were, 80s. We were what was called at the time MOR, middle-of-the-road uh, music, and, which meant uh, you'd play the best, really, of everything. Uh, pop, a little rock if it wasn't too hard, some country if it wasn't too twangy, you know, uh, really crossover hits is what we played. And we did a lot of news and weather. Uh, our you know, weather coverage was paramount. Now, the first time, Gary, I think I heard your voice was not on KFAB. Oh. It was... In a Husker broadcast. Well, so, that would have been on KFAB, too, but not, it, but not on it, KFAB. It was actually right? on KLIN yeah. uh, as, an, as an affiliate when right. I lived in Lincoln. I went to college there. And so tell me about your time with the Huskers. I think you were a sideline commentator. I started you? on sidelines, yeah. Well, in okay. 1980, I had been pestering uh, Mr. Bremser and uh, Mr. Hedrick uh, for a chance to have some role. I, I'm, I've been a college football nut. Um, my whole life. And then I moved to Nebraska. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? So I, w- I would have loved to have been a part of the broadcast, I told them, and if the opportunity ever came up. So in 1980, uh, they decided to expand a little bit, and uh, and they had me do uh, home games, uh, go out to the Millard Airport and get in a helicopter, and I'd do traffic reports between Omaha and Lincoln on, over I-80, uh, until, you know, most of the traffic was there, and then the helicopter would drop me off at Duncan Aviation in Lincoln, and they had a car that would take me into the stadium, uh, and I'd go and do sideline reports. Uh, at the time, that first year or so, we didn't have Mike down there. It was a telephone hardwired to the booth, and, um, and I had a radio, and I'd listen. If Lyle needed information, I'd call it up on injuries and stuff like that. That's how it started, and then uh, and then in 1983 was the first year that uh, Nebraska went to an exclusive rights holder for the broadcast, and KFAB won that. Uh, it was uh, KFAB, WOW, uh, KFR, and KLAN, and Lincoln were the bidders. And from what I'm told of the bid, uh, KFAB blew them away. Uh, and I remember Lyle was a very good businessman. He said, we're not going to bid a nickel more or a nickel less than it's worth. He said, we're not going to go cheap, but we're also not going to be stupid. And apparently the others tried to go cheap. I never saw the actual numbers. But anyway, so then uh, that's now a network broadcast starting in 1983. That's a, I mean, the planning that went into that, and this shows you the thoroughness of those guys. They were tremendous mentors and examples and business people. Um, Ken, who was really in charge of it, and Lyle obviously was a play-by-play, uh, made sure that we had redundant systems for every single piece of equipment. And it was huge. I mean, there was a lot that went into it. There, it wasn't digital yet, you know. So uh, the equipment wasn't very compact. And we had seven 
large blue hard-sided cases with casters, and uh, we'd go wherever we went, they went with us. Because if a piece of equipment went down, there were 50-some stations counting on us to keep that broadcast going. So we had another piece of equipment to back it up. Uh, that was amazing. That was Lyle's last year on the play-by-play. And he confided that to Kent Pavelka and to Jack Payne. Uh, the rest of us didn't know. <clears throat> Kent knew that he was going to be uh, the play-by-play boy starting in 1984. I was still doing sideline reports. And, of course, by that time, we'd upgraded to a live mic down there. And then I would, I would do pre, I did pregame interviews, sideline reports, and postgame locker room stuff. Uh, with Tom Osborne and talk to players and all of that. And that was uh, uh, 1983, 84. And then in 1985, I moved up to the booth with Kent. And Larry Molenbrink, who'd been doing color, he went down and did the sidelines. And so I was uh, Kent's color man from <clears throat> 85 through 95. Those were some great years. <laughs> you know, you think about those teams, man. Absolutely. The, yeah. the golden years of the, of the Huskers, I think of right. it as. I was uh, in college when I really got into the Huskers, right. and that was Kent, kind of the tail end of Kent's career. And I I thought I heard you on the sidelines. Maybe you were in the booth. Uh, my memory isn't as good as it well, was. Well, I did sidelines through the 84 <laughs> season. In 85, I went upstairs, and Larry did it. Gotcha. I'll tell you what, though. Um, to watch Tom, it was a tremendous vantage point to do those sideline reports and just watch what went on down there. Uh, I marveled at him. This was the greatest. Uh, football genius is not an overstatement, Tom Osborne. You could just see the wheels turning. He was in his own world. He knew what was coming. He was two or three plays ahead of the guy across the sideline. Across the field from him. It was amazing. And then, and then to watch those plays develop. That was a unique perspective. It was really yeah, cool. Yeah. I could sit here and talk to you all day about uh, about just yeah. about radio. But I want to ask you about your family, Gary. Sure. We've talked about your folks, but, of course, you came to Omaha. You mentioned getting married. Tell me about, about your Omaha family. Um, well, I had the um, – I have four children. Uh, my first wife – uh, and I divorced in 1986. We had two children, a daughter and a son. And uh, and it wasn't long after that that uh, I met my second wife, uh, Roseanne, and she was amazing. And we had two daughters. Uh, I'm happy to say all four kids are doing great. They live here in Omaha. I'm blessed. Seven grandkids. Um, and Roseanne... Um, really the love of my life and she um she developed pancreatic cancer and uh, we found out in uh, 2015 and um uh, you talk about turning your world upside down in an instant you get that diagnosis and she uh she was valiant Uh, you know that's pancreatic cancer the survival rate sadly is not good And, and she did better than many she made it 22 months and uh, we had some great times uh, before it got near the end. She was she her treatment in the beginning was successful. Uh, we were able to do a European river cruise together, and um, and then she passed in August of 2017. So six and a half years already. Um, and I miss her every day. Lair, uh I almost called you Larry. I apologize. We have a volunteer name. You can name call there. me whatever you like. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, you mentioned she's the love of your life. What attracted you to her? What, what well, made that? We, 
I don't. Uh, well, she was. I, I'm, I got to say, she was gorgeous, and so that's probably number one. But that wasn't really number one because we met by chance, and uh, she was the night manager of a restaurant lounge or lounge restaurant. And it was about this time of the year, or a little later, maybe it was late February, I don't know. And a friend who I worked with and I went to dinner. After I got off the air, I was working afternoons, got off the air. And uh, so we're leaving. It's like a Tuesday night or something, all right? And um, so we're walking out to the parking lot. She said, let's go have a drink. I said, no, I just got to go home. She said, well, let's, we'll just have one. I said, no, I really don't. She said, I'd go if you wanted to. I said, okay, fine. Where do you want to go? How about the Savoy? All right. It was just across Dodge from where we were. It's now a Fernando's anyway. And uh, Roseanne was the night manager there. And it was a really hot club at the time. And it turns out this friend of mine from work had known her for years. And so we're talking and talking and getting acquainted. And the next thing you know, it's closing time. They locked the doors. We sat there, the three of us, and talked. I don't know how late. And I remember thinking at the time, this is the most natural conversation. There was no games. She wasn't, you know, it was just, she was just a person. And and I'm thinking, you know, I might survive this divorce after all. (laughs) (laughs) And so we started dating after, you know, that spring. And and, uh, then got married in uh, 1989. That was a great time. You have any grandkids? Seven. Holy oh, cow. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, an 18-year-old. Um, and then there's like this eight-year gap. And then six <laughs> six little ones. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty fun. Of course, we are animal lovers here yeah? at uh, Radio Talking Me Book. Too. So if you want to talk about Teddy, Teddy is, now uh, is the time. Teddy's awesome. Teddy's a morky. Which is, I guess, uh, he's half Maltese and half Yorkshire Terrier, and he's bigger than either one of those breeds is supposed to be, about 15 pounds. And he's the first smart dog I've ever had, and it's great. It makes a big difference. He doesn't shed, he doesn't drool, he doesn't pee on the floor. Well, he's the perfect dog. Yeah. Wow. He's the right size. The only thing he does that annoys me is uh, being a part Terrier, he can't tolerate people walking by. I've told him... He's 10 years old. It's Teddy. People live in the neighborhood. They're allowed. No, not, you know. It's just brutal. <laughs> That's what dogs Shut do. up. I, yeah. And then I have to apologize to him. Yeah. I can't believe how fast this half hour is gone. And we can't let, first of all, I, I want to give Deanne Bright a shout out. We lost oh, her a yeah. couple of years ago. Yeah. She spoke well of you. Um, and she was in here for years reading for us on a regular basis. And, of course, now we have Cammie Carlisle. So yep. we're, we're, we're. Hi, Cammie. Well represented. Hello. Can you give us a quick story on Cammie just because I'd love to hear one. The more embarrassing, oh, the better. Well, um, not, nothing embarrassing. <laughs> I guess darn. what this proves, Cammie, is that, if, you know, like in my case, if you stay in one place long enough, you'll work with everybody, right? Exactly. Sooner or later. Exactly. Cammie was the greatest traffic reporter. Oh, thank you. If we have Lucy Chapman now, who's tremendous. Cammie was the first professional, I'm not kidding, professional traffic reporter. I ever knew. Well, thank you. You were awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was a blast no until kidding. it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, it was the death and destruction. You know, over 20 years of that, it gets to you. I've heard that it does, yeah. I'm yeah. waiting for it to get to me. <laughs> no, right. sometimes it does. You're right. Yeah. You're right. But hopefully it won't get like to you. Like when I was in management, mm-hmm. guys, um, 
when when my wife was ill, it, I was doing a morning show and I was program director, and it all became too much. And our boss was great about letting me drop that management role. Uh, but I know when I was in management, man, it was uh, there were times where I just you know wanted to give the two finger salute mm-hmm. to corporate. Um, <laughs> yep. But that's you know things change. Mm-hmm. Things change. Yep. But Cammy was great, Ryan. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Scary. She really was. We are lucky yes. to have her. <laughs> we are so blessed yes. to have Cammy. Thanks, uh, guys. You know, Gary, we're we're almost out of time, and I was going to ask you a political question, but mm-hmm. gosh darn it, I guess I'll just jettison that and give you one more hardball because you've had a lot of easy ones today. Yeah. Here we go. Best Clint Eastwood movie ever. Unforgiven. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. This this is a carryover from last weekend when I was home and my sister-in-law and I had a very uh, vocal booze-informed in, uh, fight. <laughs> about What's yours? Mine is Unforgiven. Oh, great. Dirty Harry is a very close second. The original. Uh, yes, the original Dirty yeah. Harry. Uh, excellent movie. I also like Gran Torino. Uh, Gran Torino's great. Yeah. Um, she thought a painted wagon is the best and uh the good the bad and the ugly and they're all yeah. great there's yeah no, they are i mean he bad. was look he's clint come on yeah <laughs> but unforgiven is just a masterpiece with gene hackman and morgan freeman well i it's i you've got to run here i don't want to take up any more time i would just say this that's it was it, it was most authentic western i think that yep. i've seen i agree real quick yeah. uh in uh, last hardball question who is your favorite professional celebrity radio voice ever Ever? Yeah. Uh, Paul Harvey, Rush Limbaugh. I it's it's tough. I mean, if you did a Mount Rushmore, it'd be Paul Harvey, Rush Limbaugh, Arthur Godfrey, and I don't know who the fourth one is. Casey Kasem. Casey's in the discussion, I, no doubt. I would argue Casey K. He's my favorite because not only was he radio, but he was also yeah. cartoon. I'd have to go Paul Harvey shaggy. probably. Uh, I love Paul Harvey, and of course Rush. You know, he yeah. he kind of saved AM radio, but he was a piece of work, man. Gary, it has been an absolute pleasure talking Thank with you, you today, my friend. Thank you so much for giving us your time on a Friday afternoon. And uh, thank you for all you've given to Omaha, being the, my f- companion every morning as thank I get you. ready to come thank to you. work. God bless it, the work you do here. Pleasure listening to you. This is Ryan O, folks. Our guest has been Gary Saddlemeyer, Omaha radio legend here on Community Conversations. Thank you so much for listening to us today. And we're going to throw it back over to Cammie Carlisle, not doing traffic in the control room. Cammie, take it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. And thank you, Gary, for joining us today. I used to work for Gary at KFAB, and those were some good days. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. This is the program where we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And this is the Radio Talking Book Network in Omaha, Nebraska. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 50 years. Radio Talking Book is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of Nebraska Public Media. Thank you all for being loyal Radio Talking Book listeners and supporters.